My take on this is a bit different. Um, I come from, specialise in dispute resolution uh, and in particular the, the major court cases and I've been involved in virtually all the major boundary court cases over the last 17 years or so. Um, I've done quite a bit of work in the South China Sea but more focusing on the hydrographic aspects and uh, I'm by no means an expert or even knowledgeable about the political and diplomatic issues in the South China Sea and we have an eminent audience here that will fill that gap in my own background. Um, I'm going to look at this from a technical perspective. Uh, I expect to be somewhat controversial and I would be fairly disappointed if anybody agreed with what I have to say. So on that basis, um, expecting controversy, um, I will proceed. I'm also going to show um, quite a large number of maps. I will make up with the, um, should I say, given the geographical nature of the South China Sea and the relatively few maps we've seen so far, and I expect to redress the balance, and I'm sure my, my good friend Bob will also um, put in his few pennies worth as well. Um, I'm really going to cover this uh, not in any great detail, and none of this, um, you're all expert, greater experts in this than I am. We have um, various baselines around the South China Sea, whether it be archipelagic or straight, and from that, if we draw... 200 mile limits from the mainlands, we end up with a zone in the middle that is more than 200 miles from the mainland coastal states, ignoring the islands for now. Um, if we look at the bathymetry of the, of the South China Sea, we see immediately the problem with um, resource distribution in that quite a large part of it is deep ocean floor um, and hence um, broadly speaking, non-prospective for oil and gas. Um, if, as you come to the south, you'll see the, the, the dark blue areas are a kind of shallow shelf. The pale blue areas are sort of intermediate water depths and the orange, um, and as you can see in the top right-hand corner, um, the deep water sort of east of the Philippines. Um, on that basis, we have um, two submissions to the CLCS from the South China Sea, um, Malaysia, uh, Vietnam, a joint submission in the south, and then Vietnam, um, a partial submission uh, in, the, in the western areas. Um, Philippines have not made a submission in the South China Sea. They have on the, on the eastern side in the Banham Rise. Um, now, on that basis, I would, you can see that the the uh, extended continental shelves are defined as a line um, 60 miles beyond the foot of the slope. The foot of the slope being, broadly speaking, that black line I've drawn on there. Um, and from that, we can see the outer shelf area in that part of the South China Sea. And I think there's possibly an area beyond the continental shelf um, in that eastern part of the um, South China Sea. It, depending on how the um, islands and EZ issues work out. And if we look at the 
Um, there is a line of, of islands coming through Scarborough Shell coming off the Philippines and it might give rise to an outer shelf claim in that area. But let's, let's, let's take for a, a, as a premise that the, most of that area of 200 miles is covered by continental shelf claims um, by the littoral states. That would be Malaysia, Philippines, um, Vietnam and China to the north. Um, okay, so put that to one side. Um, now let's look at islands. Um, and again, if we take the 200 mile zones from the islands, again, this is, this is um, motherhood really, but those 200 mile zones will completely cover the area of um, 200 mile zones in the middle of the South China Sea. So you would have to presume that but Malaysia and Vietnam, by making a submission to the Commission, therefore presume that this, this diagram um, does not apply. In other words, the tundra mile zones from these islands, um, or these, sorry, these islands do not generate <coughs> tundra mile zones. Um, one to one, uh, yeah, you all know this, we've been talking about this, uh, the difference between islands and rocks so let's let's skip over this one um, again you're all familiar with this but these are the if you like the standard type of features in the South China Sea um, rocks this is um, interesting human habitation in Scarborough Shoal um, and then we have um, things that are clearly artificial, these, these kind of platforms and, and all platforms and things. Um, <coughs> things that are clearly, you would say, are islands and, and you've got uh, lots of vegetation and so on. So clearly an established island, but that's one of the features that the tribunal declared actually was a rock in, in, in legal terms. And, it's, and even these biggish features are not entitled to um, the Tundra Maritime Zones. And then we have sort of um, intermediate features, kind of small islands. Here's one with, um, it's got vegetation on it, so it's clearly permanently above water and so on, um, but probably doesn't have much in the way of human habitation. That one, I think you can probably see a, a couple of small houses or something like that. Um, there was much in the um, Philippines-China arbitration about the natural state of these features. <coughs> And um, a lot of the features were surveyed in the mid-19th century. This is, for example, um, Subi Reef. Um, when surveyed, 1867, um, nothing above high water. So this is a low tide elevation in its natural state. And if you look at the satellite imagery, this is from 2005. So actually not very long ago. In here you can see... This is um, a permanently submerged area of reef. You'd, areas above water you'd see it was coming up as sort of bright um, white areas. This is a, a, a very shallow but nonetheless submerged um, coral reef. And if we just flick through the imagery, this is um, later in 2005, you can see the start of the dredging work and then going on to um, sort of present day, you can see we have um, quite a major feature there on this low tide elevation of all sorts of um, 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 
I'm sure these are all entirely peaceful buildings here. Um, so this is a wrong way to bring in the tourists, and this will be um, hotel accommodation and um, dive centres and the like in, in this sort of peaceful accommodation. Now, um, that, was, that was that. Now, next door to that, we have um, Theta Island and Reefs. Again, this is all um, from the same survey, actually. These are... That, these charts are taken from the uh, award in the Philippines China Award. The satellite images are, are pulled off Google Earth. So, um, Here we have a um, similar thing. We have uh, an island over here, Theta Island itself, um, which you can see um, is, um, yeah, has, a, has a small airstrip. It's, it's much older and, and doesn't have the same level of touristic development that we saw on, on Subi Reef. Um, but significantly next to this island, there are some extremely small sandy keys, which I've labelled on here. Um, I mean, although, if you look at the chart, you can actually see it um, on there as a sandy key. Imagery, not so clear. Um, and certainly there is some reasonable evidence that a lot of these features in the South China Sea are not there all the time. They come and go on a seasonal basis. Now, this becomes quite significant because if you measure Subi Reef as, um, despite its infrastructure, is in its natural state a low to elevation, that is more than 12 miles from Theta Island, which was the substantial island. Therefore, it's, it's not entitled to any maritime zones of its own on that basis. But it is within 12 miles of those tiny sandy keys that are probably um, no bigger than this lecture room, but because they are above water permanently, the fact it's within 12 miles of a sandy key would then qualify Subi Reef for a territorial sea of its own under Article 13 of the Convention. What's interesting though is that Subi Reef is occupied by China and Thetu by the Philippines. So if you were to draw a delimitation line between the two, um, say for an argument um, a median line, something like this, that would separate um, Chinese from Philippines occupation, then Subi would lose its sandy key-based entitlement to a territorial sea. So if you were to delimit that, then Subi Reef would retain its status as alerted elevation. And being alerted elevation more than 12 miles from a feature, um, would then not, in, not in, uh, generate a territorial sea. Um, another example from the uh, arbitration, this is um, Gavin Reef, another, another um, development. Um, and just to point out the, the, um, the, the problems with surveys here, here we've got, we've got two surveys. Uh, the north pair are from this um, Rathelman survey in 1867, and the, right, the top right chart is the current British Admiralty chart from 2000, but it's still using the Rathelman survey data from 1867, 
and you can see it's identical in its shape and all the, the water depths are exactly those from riflemen. Uh, the bottom pair are a Japanese naval chart on the bottom left and a United States chart on the bottom right. Um, again, these are identical in terms of the water depths and the charting. So you've got to be slightly careful when looking at sources, actually looking at the original survey source, and it's just being translated from 1867 into 2000, and it's quite dangerous to expect that a, that a, a, a chart published by the UK Hydrographic Office in 2000 actually represents anything remotely the, the, the truth today. Um, on these charts, so the, the top two don't show a rock, the bottom two do show a rock, so um, that's the basis for Gavin um, Reef as um, an island, um, and in Gavin Reef, of course, if you're, this is, uh, again, one of these um, hotels being built on um, one of the islands on that one. Um, not yet a swimming pool, but I guess a swimming, you can use the um, surrounding water as, as, as your bathing suit. Um, occupation status. I'm not really going to dwell on this. I think Bob normally talks about this, but, but just to say um, that there is no simple way of, of, of... You can't say that if you wanted to delimit on the basis of occupation, there's no simple way of, of saying... Um, we'll, we'll draw lines in here and we'll, we'll carve out the island. So um, I'll, I'll leave that for now and get on to the delimitation aspects. Um, and we have to remember we have, we're dealing with um, effectively the two articles here, the, the Territorial Sea article that talks about equidistance and the EEZ Continental Shelf articles that talk about equitable principles. So slightly different emphasis on that. And we have the three-stage process whereby you draw equidistance, you adjust it for relevant circumstances, and check for proportionality. Again, um, standard. And um, on the basis of that, the small features and delimitation, um, irrespective of their entitlements, um, a fully entitled island will have um, EZ continental shelf, but in delimitation purposes, it's unlikely to get full weight. Even Malta, as an island state, did not get a full weight median line against Libya. Um, and the, the smaller features, um, small islands and rocks, um, are likely to get um, reduced weight or being enclaved. Loaded elevations are likely to get nil weight in delimitation. Um, in Bangladesh, India, the tribunal quite clearly said that detached low-tide elevations should not be used for delimitation. Isolated low-tide elevations beyond 12 miles are not capable of appropriation under international law. So they've got no, no kind of sovereignty um, and, and, and therefore will not be used uh, in delimitation. The, the case that is... I think most relevant to this one is Nicaragua, Colombia, where we have uh, a number of Colombian islands quite close to the Nicaraguan coastline. If we translate this into the South China Sea, think of Colombia as being China and Nicaragua as being the Philippines. So we've got, if you like, islands quite close to the Philippines coast 
um, islands, in this case belonging to Colombia, more than 200 miles from the Colombian mainland. And they are different in some respect. This is San Andres, the main island, which is clearly a major feature. And it's an order of several orders of magnitude bigger than anything in the South China Sea. It's got it's a population of um, 70,000. It's, it's got a big development and it's got, you know, it, it's, it's, it's nothing like anything in the South China Sea. These other features, though, these are from the Colombian Islands, these pictures could have been taken in the South China Sea. These look like that picture of the man with an umbrella on Scarborough Reef doesn't look dissimilar to that one. Um, again, these look like some of the South China Sea keys. And again, I'm sure you recognise um, these really small features. Um, on, on, um, it, in, the, in this case, it's Kita Suenia. Um, what was significant here is that the Kita Suenia, the one with the people, was declared as an island, and that generated a 12-mile territorial sea. And all features within that also generated the 12-mile territorial sea. Um, this is what happened in that case. Um, Colombia's proposal was for a median line between the islands and the mainland, as you might expect. And the judgment was um, really reduced enclaves for the small features. So the Serrana was the little green island, Kitasuania was the rock. Um, and the big islands, San Andres and so on, um, were given, again, quite reduced entitlements compared to the median line, and certainly not a full 200 radius that you might expect um, from San Andres. So quite, quite curtailed uh, on that basis. The arguments being mainly that Nicaragua is a long coastline and these are small islands um, a long way from their mother. Um, okay, we've we've heard a lot in the, in the, um, the previous talk about about um, um, peaceful zones and maritime protection areas and so on. Um, what are we going to do in the South China Sea then? Um, is this the answer then? And I think um, uh, Judge Carpier in the in the previous presentation actually described this, but without an illustration. So here we have. Um, adjacent boundaries between the, the little states, so um, Vietnam, China, Philippines, Malaysia, and so on. Um, if the islands don't generate a continental shelf, then we have um, the only boundaries relevant will be those in the outer shelf beyond 200 miles, um, which I've shown here as extensions of the median line in, in the dotted lines. Um, there may or may not be a small area in the middle that remains high seas. Um, I'm, you know, if, if it's like this, there's a, there'll be a gap in the boundary. There'll be an area beyond national jurisdiction, or at least as far as the continental shelf is concerned. Um, if, it, if that fills in by another submission, then you can, you can draw the lines to the middle. So um, I don't feel strongly on that basis. Um, and then all the islands, as according to the tribunal, would generate a 12-mile zones, but not the continental shelf that would go with it. So you'd end up with um, those are the islands, those are their zones, sitting in um, either EEZ or continental shelf beyond 200 miles. Um, 
this is another way of looking at it, is, is um, whether there is actually an intermediate stage um, whereby you could maybe, okay, we'll give 50 miles to the coastal state, we'll have a median line for the first 50 miles, or maybe 100 miles, because actually all the islands are kind of beyond 100 miles from the mainland. So maybe that is a... By, by kind of shrinking it, you can say, okay, we'll have 50 miles which is largely outside the nine-dash line, we'll say this is the 50-mile zone, and then maybe move forwards on that basis. Thank you very much. Thank you.